0: I think there is, there is definitely something to that. I mean, there's, um, we're sitting right now, you can't hear this on the podcast, but we're sitting here in a room in my home that my family calls the moon room because there are pictures from the moon landing all over the walls of the room. And part of it is this acknowledgement that you know we're this little blue dot in a humongous black vacuum. We've never found life anywhere else in the universe to date. It took 4 billion years to create what we have today, and so there's something very awe-inspiring about that journey that every life form has taken to get to where it is today. And that that's very, very special. I mean, that's awe- awe-inspiring. How can you not look at these pictures from the yeah. Apollo missions and not realize how insignificant and yet incredibly valuable this huge blue rock is?
1: Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment, You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you. Hear their struggles. And then act. Act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public personal challenge of your own. You're not alone and you don't have to wait for others. I met Nir Ayal at the podcast recording of Will Bachman, a friend of mine, who long ago he hosted me on his podcast, and I will link to both episodes of Will's episode with Nir and Will's episode with me. A lot of people ask me how I do so much in life. I don't feel like I do that much. But if so, maybe I qualify as someone who achieves. Near recently published a book called Indistractable about how to keep focused, how to get things done. That book gave me tools to focus and achieve more with less distraction. In fact, I'm recording right now, despite before sitting down, I felt like I wanted to surf the net, but I used a technique from the book to focus. So I'm going to link to Will's episode so that you can hear Neil speak at length about his book. I wanted to hear how his research and techniques on personal action would connect to environmental action, which is obviously my focus, and we started to talk about that. I believe that you'll agree that this is one of the more dramatic transitions from skeptical, abstract environmental discussion to enthusiastic action. So for the full value of the book, listen to Will's episode of Nier, also of me too, although that's not about the book, and then listen to this episode that you're about to hear for Nier letting down his guard and exploring a new area. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. I'm here with Nir Ayal. Nir, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing great, Joshua. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for hosting me. I'm I'm actually in your home, and we were just talking about, in your book, Indistractable, we talked about your wife has an indistractable uh, crown, which I hope to see in a little bit, and there's a picture of it in the book. And I I have to say that before meeting you the first time, uh, when you spoke at um, where I'm going tonight, the uh, the stand-up New York, Oh, okay. I listened to a bunch of, of interviews that you'd had already, And I really thought, I heard, you know, you hear you a bunch of times, I figured, okay, I know what it's about. And then I started reading the book and I was like, oh, there's much more in here (laughs) than than had come across. And I started doing things that some I'd heard of or thought to do, but some I hadn't.
0: Yeah. Tell me something. I'm curious. What was not in the talk that you thought was particularly memorable or impactful? Well, certainly the research.
1: I mean, you talked about it, but I didn't read it. So Mm. that, there's a depth that is there. And actually you said something that re- listeners of mine, what you said, it's all, what, what you said is all based on research. It's not just, I took a bunch of cold showers and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. 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 So I've taken a bunch of cold showers. <laughs> so I was like, wait
0: a minute. <laughs> well, there's a lot in the, you know, it's, it's not, there's anecdote and sometimes anecdotes do pan out by the research, but that's not something I'm comfortable putting in a book. Personally, when I read something in a productivity book or a self-help book or a social change book, And uh, somebody says, well, this is my idea and it works because, I don't know, (laughs) some unfalsifiable reason, I know this to be true, I'm skeptical, right? Mm -hmm. I'm honestly skeptical. And I think we all should be skeptical because there's a lot of snake oil salesmen out there. And so instead, I want something that not only is effective, right? I've tried everything in the book. But also is backed by peer reviewed studies. There's 20 pages of citations in there and everything that I recommend, there is a citation for. And so it's not just, okay, I made up this technique and, you know, it was revealed only to me and now I have to share it to the world. No, no, this is stuff that you could all could look at the evidence, look at the studies. What I think I add to the, to the discussion is a framework, is a logical way of thinking about it so that you can apply it in your way and share it with others.
1: And also motivation. So I'd heard it before, and I'm going to ask you a question you've been asked a million times, but I want my listeners to hear is something got you on this path, and it was personal. So what can you share the story with the daughter? Sure,
0: yeah. So for me, it was about five years ago. I was sitting with my daughter, and we had this beautiful afternoon planned, and we had this book of activities that daddies and daughters could play together. And one of the activities in this book was to ask each other this question, that if you could have any superpower, what superpower would you want? And I remember the question verbatim, but I can't tell you what my daughter said because in that moment, I was distracted by my device. I looked at my phone as opposed to being with my daughter, and she got the message that whatever was on my device was more important than she was. She walked out of the room, and by the time I looked up for my phone, she was gone. And uh, that memory kind of still stays with me today. And that was kind of the moment when I, I realized, you know what, I need to understand and reconsider my relationship with distraction. That it was taking a toll on my personal life. It was taking my, a toll on my health. I was, you know, I would say I would exercise, but I didn't. I would say I would eat healthfully, and I didn't. I would say I would get done that big project at work, and didn't do it. Uh, and so uh, my relationship suffered. My work suffered. And so that's kind of the impetus of of why I decided to start doing this research around why we get distracted. Why do we say we're going to do one thing and yet we don't do it? We do something else. And something
1: that you you distinguish a lot that is, it strikes close to home for me is that a lot of people say cell phones, screens, these distract, and that's the issue. And that uh, never in the history of anything have we had such distraction to me, it's like that's a symptom, but it's not the mm, cause.
0: That's right. I totally
1: agree. So what's the, but everyone says it. Right. It, it, it's hard to get people off of that. Because
0: well, it's a really good scapegoat, uh-huh. <laughs> right? And, you know, somebody asked me in an interview, they said, you know, what keeps you up at night? And my answer is simple answers, that simplistic answers have always gotten our species into trouble, whether it's that ethnic group is the source of all my troubles, that political party is the source of all my problems, uh, that... Uh, whatever it might be, whenever we blame something outside ourselves and we attribute more power than, than is is correct, we get ourselves into trouble because we don't take personal responsibility for what we ourselves could do about the problem. And so today, we hear a lot in the media about how it's technology that's hijacking our brains and it's addicting everyone and it's this and it's that, incidentally propagated by the very people who are the competition of these companies, right? Every traditional media company that tells you how bad social media is, is in fact, in competition with the social media company. No, of course, yeah, right? Yeah. How does the New York Times make money? Same way Facebook does. They sell your eyeballs.
1: And yeah, Facebook they, isn't saying Facebook is a problem. Yeah.
0: Right. Right. And, 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 uh, well, actually that's not true. I would argue that Facebook is saying that Facebook is a problem. They've spent billions of dollars fixing Facebook. But I think what you don't see in the media is the other side of the story. You don't see the personal responsibility angle. You don't see the simple things that we can all do to put technology in its place. So I wrote this 280-page book to tell people how to stick it to these <laughs> companies. Not by saying, you know, holding hold, let's, hold, let's all hold our breath until the geniuses in Washington fix the problem for us. Let's all wait for these companies to make their products less engaging. That's not going to happen. But let's do something about it right now. And you know what? It's actually not that difficult. We can do it.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, you said there's a lot of uh, theory or uh, research backing you up. But it's also, it's it's mainly like simple things, that you
0: like this specific thing that you do, you know, put this card on your computer, yeah. use this app. Right. So I talk about the tactics, but I think the strategy is even more important. So tactics are what you do, strategy is why you do it. And what if there's one thing I want imprinted in people's minds when they read the book or even listening to this podcast is this picture of the four parts of the indistractable model mm-hmm. that you have, to, you have, imagine a number line, you have, traction to the right you have distraction to the left so traction is any action that pulls you towards what you want to do the opposite of traction is distraction anything that pulls you away from what you plan to do and so you've got traction distraction to the right and to the left and then you've got these two arrows pointing to the center of that number line that represent external triggers and internal triggers External triggers are the pings, the dings, the rings, all of these things in our environment that move us towards traction and distraction. And then you've got the internal triggers, which is the root cause of the problem. You talked about earlier that we keep blaming the symptom as opposed to the the disease. And the disease is that we do not have, most people do not have the ability to cope with discomfort in a healthy way, Mm -hmm. that we are constantly reaching for something to take our mind off of these uncomfortable emotional states stress, anxiety, boredom, fatigue, uncertainty. We are looking for something, whether it's your iPhone, your television, booze, whatever it might be, to get our minds off these uncomfortable emotional states. And so the root cause, the Achilles heel of distraction is to figure out what are these emotionally uncomfortable states and to do something about those that we can fix and learn to cope with the ones we can't necessarily fix in a healthier manner so that when we are prompted with these internal triggers, we act in a way that leads us towards traction rather than distraction.
1: Of the many things you just said, uh, the, the one that made the biggest difference for me was the discomfort. I kind of knew it, but I kind of, you you crystallized it, that when I'm, here's something happens a lot. I click on a link. I'm waiting for the page to load. It's loading. And I go over to check my mail. Yeah. And then a mail came in that I was like, right, so, and the emotion that I feel is I don't want to wait, or it is, it's a discomfort. It's an uncomfort, or the, that's like the easy one. Mm-hmm. The harder one is um, I'm starting to work and I know it's, I know once I get started, I'll get started, right. but there's then you got to get into the flow right. and, and I'm like, that takes a little work. And I'm just like, I don't want to do that. Right. So then, you know, read it and then hours gone. Right. <laughs> exactly. And, but what I, what I've been doing is like paying attention to that and like exploring that feeling. Beautiful. Yeah. And taking 10 minutes. Those are two separate things,
0: but they work together well. Totally. So, what you've described, I think, is this mindset change that people tend to experience, which is, you know, most people before they read the book, they're in one of two categories. They're either the blamers or the shamers. The blamers say, oh, it's this technology distracting me. It's Facebook. It's my iPhone. It's Slack. It's email. It's this stuff outside me. Just like you would say, oh, it's the chocolate cake that's doing it to me, or it's, you know, whatever you want to blame outside of yourself. And then you have what we call the shamers. And this is the category I used to fit into is, you know, there must be something wrong with me, or I have a short attention span, or uh, you see I'm lazy, or maybe I'm an imposter. I'm not doing my job correctly. There's something wrong with me. And so the shamers don't help themselves out either because the more shame we feel, the more of these internal triggers, the more of these uncomfortable emotional states we experience, the more likely we are to seek escape from that discomfort with more distraction. So we don't want to become a blamer. We don't want to become a shamer. We want to be a claimer. A claimer claims responsibility, acknowledging that you didn't invent Facebook. You didn't invent the iPhone. You didn't invent the chocolate cake, but it's your responsibility. That it's not about the fact that you feel these sensations. That's not your fault. You can't control what you feel. You can control how you respond to those feelings. That is our responsibility. And we can do something about it.
1: This is like some time immemorial of right. stoicism
0: and so forth. Absolutely, See, uh, Plato talked about acrasia, this tendency that we all have to do things against our better interests. Twenty five hundred years ago, this is not a new problem.
1: Okay, your book does talk a lot about cell phones for saying it's not cell phones, but I guess if that's around, if that's in your world, you got to face it. Even if you are, was Clay Shirkin was really good. He was uh, I don't know if you've ever worked with him, mm-hmm. but so he um, he talked about how. At first, he was like, yeah, people can use technology in the classroom. But then he realized there's like teams of psychologists who work their entire lives to figure out once they're on the page, how to keep them on that page. And how can you fight against that? Yeah, you, you do. Well, oh, if, if him as a professor in front of a classroom, oh. if, the, if the students, a student will sit there and think, oh, I'll just real quick check my message. Yeah. And then they check, and then half an hour later, half an hour of of class has gone by, and the student is just sucked,
0: sucked into the screen. Yeah, so we do exactly what we've always done as a species. We adapt and we adopt. We adapt our norms. We adapt our customs, our mores. And we adopt new technology to fix the last generation of technology. So Paul Virilio, the philosopher, said, when you invent the ship, you invent the shipwreck. So when was the last time you heard about a shipwreck? Never, right? Almost never in our lifetime. Probably almost never happens. Why? Did we stop sailing ships? No, we made ships better. And so now you almost never hear of shipwrecks. And the same is happening when it comes to our technology. So to build on on Clay's uh, story, I used to teach at Stanford for many years. And when I first started teaching around 2012, that I saw this all the time. Students were on their phones. They were on websites. They were constantly on their devices in the middle of my class. And this was you know, kind of annoying, but we couldn't really do anything about it. Today, you don't see that anymore. Today, when I teach, nobody's on their phone. Nobody's on their computer. You know why? Because we've adapted. We've, students have gotten the message, if I'm on my phone, my performance suffers. Mm -hmm. And so we've changed the way we do things. We've adapted. Uh, I remember when I was a kid in the 1980s, people would come over to our house in the early 80s, And we had ashtrays in our living room. Why? Because back then, people expected to just light up a cigarette when you visited someone's home. Can you imagine if someone walked in here and smoked a cigarette? (laughs) That would be unheard of. How incredibly rude. And I remember when my mom, for the first time, took away the ashtrays. And when someone came over, she would tell them, we are not smokers. If you want to smoke, please go outside. She lost friends over this. This was, oh my goodness, you're going to ask me to smoke outside? That was a big deal. Well, what changed? Was it a law? No, there's never been a law that says you can't smoke in someone's house. It's private residence. What changed was our norms, our manners around how to use these various things. This is called spreading social antibodies. Mm -hmm. And so today, no one would dream of smoking in a house, certainly without asking. Uh, And so that's how these things change. We adapted and we adopted.
1: There's a lot of what you're talking about that I can't help but all through your book, I'm translating this stuff from distraction also to environment. Mm. And a lot of what you said have also been like, hopefully not too much translating, but I mean, talking about technology, talking about antibodies and talking about taking responsibility. This goes one-to-one. Yeah, and tell me more about that
0: because that's not my area of expertise, but I'm so curious how it is your area of expertise. I'm curious how you, how you saw that. That carry over.
1: Well, actually, I, I think that if we got into a conversation about it, it would I think you would love the conversation yeah, because there's whole so areas curious. of huge interest Yeah, and people crave figuring out what are the antibodies? Right. What, what can we do? So most of what passes for leadership right now in the area of the environment is telling people like, here's a little thing that you can do and hoping that these little things will add up to big things. Now, I'm not going to argue against that it may happen. But I think a lot of people, like, they'll do straws for a little bit and be like, this didn't do anything. And then they kind of like... Uh, what or even I
0: hear- worse, I think, is when we think that banning straws does something and it really doesn't, right? It actually gives people the feeling, the, the false feeling that they've done something. And meanwhile, they're polluting in a hundred different other ways that actually make an impact.
1: So it's this internal motivations, their emotions, their, their, their models for how things work. That's what... Carbon dioxide is not the cause of global warming, mm. I could pick mercury. I could pick lead. I could pick deforestation. I could pick any of the number of issues, you know, losing topsoil and things like that. It's our behavior. Carbon dioxide has no volition. It doesn't It doesn't choose to do what it does. It reacts to us. And if I could snap my fingers and turn the, the greenhouse gas levels back to pre-industrial, but we kept doing what we're doing. We'd get right back here a few years from now. And it's this internal, what, our behavior doesn't pop out of nowhere either. It comes from our beliefs. It comes from certainly the systems that we have in place, but those systems can change, but most people aren't
0: doing anything to change these things. Right. Do you think that the solution is individual level or government level or, you know, what, what strata is the, does the solution really come from?
1: Well, yes to all of these things. I mean, if we if we leave out any of them, it's not going to work. But also there's, there's blamers and shamers and not a whole lot of claimers. Right, right. So there's a lot of people saying government should do it. And until they do it, what can I do? What I do doesn't matter. I mean, for me, I can tell you that a lot of people, for a long time, this threw me. People would say to me, look, you cannot fly all you want. You're one person out of a billion. No one else is doing anything. And until we do massive change, what you do doesn't matter. All you're doing is missing out on the Eiffel Tower. Mm. Just go fly. I think they're partly saying just go fly to me so that they can fly themselves. themselves, Yeah, so they can sleep better. Right. It's not so that they can fly. They were already doing that. So they can sleep better. It's it's an internal thing. Right. For a long time that threw me because the math checks out. Like what I do is one part, one, whatever I do divided by seven billion is zero or you know, negligible. But I realized a couple things. One is that here's how I put it. Listeners may have heard this before. I don't steal. I don't steal so that other people will stop stealing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I have no idea. Well, I, I'm, I'm happy if, I, if my behavior makes me a role model to others and others follow that. But I don't expect that my not stealing will get others to not steal. I don't kick puppies. I don't want congratulations for that. I don't think it's a particularly noble thing. I just right. don't do it. Right. It's a matter of integrity. I, I live by my values. And the more that I live by my values, especially when it's a struggle to,
0: mm-hmm.
1: well, some, some values don't shake out, but clean air, water, land, that has shaken out. is a value that I want to stick with. Yeah. And so I don't confuse my personal behavior with influencing others. It's a matter of integrity.
0: Right
1: Now, separately, I also do want to influence others. This podcast is one way I'm doing it and other ways as well, public speaking, stuff like that. Now, I don't think, I don't confuse the two, mm-hmm. but if I were to ask people to do something that I myself am not doing, right. I think I've lost credibility and I wouldn't expect people to follow me,
0: Sure.
1: or rather I would expect them to do what everyone's doing, which is, Oh, that person is telling me to do something that they're not doing. I'll also tell people to do something that I'm not doing. Right. we got a whole nation full of people saying, world full of people saying, other people should do it. Meanwhile, you know, for me, actually, it does work out. It's okay. Right. So I, don't, I can't say that simply by my doing it, that that will make me effective in leading others. Mm-hmm. I still have to do it, but at least it opens the door. And right. I'm not aware of anyone actually living by these values mm-hmm. And by not doing it, they don't discover what I think this book, your book is really about. It's not just about, it's not about not being distracted. It's about what comes from that.
0: That's right. It's about living with personal integrity. Yeah. Which is exactly what you're saying in terms of that's the most important first step is to actually walk the walk yourself and do what you say you want to do according to your values.
1: And then you learn and then your behavior changes. And I think your story with your daughter ends differently.
0: There's no, you haven't said the ending yet. Oh, what happened after? Yeah. Yeah. So the ending was that uh, after I learned how to become indistractable. And I finished up the book. Uh, I didn't know that I was going to use this story in the book, even though that was the prompt. I didn't know you know, what, what it would necessarily lead to. But when I sat down with her and asked her, you know, what superpower do you want? Right? I, what, now, I'm sorry I wasn't listening the first time. I'm just curious. Now that, that you know. I'm sorry I wasn't listening the first time, but can you tell me what superpower would you want? She said that the superpower that she would most want is the power to be kind. That's what she said. <laughs> And the more I thought about that, I realized actually that's not really a typical superpower—the power to be kind. I mean, you know, you don't have to be bit by a radioactive spider like Spider Man, or be born on a on an alien planet like Superman. Anyone has the power to be kind, and I think that was such a great ending to this to bring it full circle because just like anyone has the power to be kind, we all have the power to be indistractable. We all do have the power to do what we say we're going to do.
1: That power to do what we say we're going to do—that's incredible—and you got closer to your daughter. For all, of, My read is that for all the apps that you downloaded to block things, for all of the settings that you made, for all of the internal awareness that you, you raised and the skills that you developed, all of that leads to you living a life above your values. And that means you're closer to your daughter. Right. And that's what has emerged for me with acting environmentally is that for all of, people hear me avoiding packaged food and they hear me avoiding flying and they hear me with my diet and things like that. But what it's actually about is the not flying is not missing the Eiffel tower. I, I have to change my language here. Certainly there's my identification. That's a big thing that like, I, I I have expected to have a shirt, like I'm indestructible. I have uh, one down okay. downstairs. <laughs> and I mean, on, yeah. And so I certainly have, I I've thrown my identity into this. So it makes it a lot easier.
0: Right. It's, it's really interesting you say that, actually, because there is a section in the book about how long-term behavior change is identity change. So when someone calls themselves a devout Christian, an observant Muslim, even a vegetarian, that identity helps them stay on track, right? So a vegetarian doesn't wake up every morning and say, hmm, I wonder if I should have some bacon. No, well, I am a vegetarian. This is what I do because of who I am. Mm-hmm. So I think absolutely the reason I called the book Indistractable is because I want this to be the new moniker. I want people to say to themselves, just like my mother said to someone, we are not smokers. This is something we do not do. We do not smoke inside our house. And so by saying to others, I am indistractable, that's how we affirm our own identity. We announce to ourselves as much as everyone else, my time and my attention and my life is not controlled by others. I decide how I do those things.
1: And this is lacking in the the environment. Is that people are just like, yeah, it matters to me, but- when push comes to shove, other things matter when they'll say, Oh yeah, I want clean air. Right. But I do want to say the Eiffel tower. And when the values clash, they, they generally on, on the whole, we can yeah. look at the oceans and see what they're choosing. They're choosing Starbucks over. We've all seen the pictures of the beaches covered yeah. in
0: plastic. Right. But where do you, I'm so curious in terms of, and again, this isn't my area of expertise, but I'm just curious as a, as a lay how do we figure out the best bang for the buck? because, there is, many times, I think there is the desire to do something that can overpower our desire to think through something. I think it's much easier to act with your heart than in your head. So for example, I think plastic straw bands are not helpful because we know that 90% of the plastic in the ocean comes from, what is it, six rivers in Africa and Asia. Mm-hmm. None of those sources are from Western countries, not from Europe, not from America, you know, what we see when we have these plastic straw bans is that we all saw that picture of the, of the sea turtle with the straw stuck in its nose and it's horrible and it feels terrible. And then we pass a regulation or we bring these, these aluminum straws with us that turns out to, you would have to consume thousands of plastic straws to make up for the energy that took, it took to make one aluminum straw. And we haven't put it in proportion and we make ourselves feel like, Hey, I did my job when we really haven't, all we've done is made ourselves feel good. And so I'm curious, when do you know that we should lobby for change? Because we, we, we do not have more than 24 hours in a day, right? We all have the same amount of time. When do we know when the problem is a systemic problem? Like how do we fix those, those six rivers in Africa and Asia versus when do we try and do something here that's actually going to do nothing for the problem? How do we know so the difference? To learn how to behave, to learn how to act, there's, we know how to teach how to act in every other
1: area. you you practice the basics and someone who hasn't acted doesn't know what they're talking about. Mm. Most of us don't know what we're talking about because we've rehearsed and practiced acting, not caring about the environment. And so however much we care, what we're good at is putting it second. So to me, there's, it's a lot of people saying like, here's what we should do or here's what we shouldn't do. It's like the guy at the gym. This is the, I don't know why, I got to come up with a better metaphor, but if you go to the gym enough, Eventually, someone comes in who has not been to the gym before, but has read a bunch of books, but hasn't actually lifted weights, right. and comes in and starts giving advice to people who have been there for years, right. like, oh, you know, you should hold it this way. Yeah. And they don't even know enough that they're embarrassing themselves, because right. everyone's heard it before, but, you know, you got to learn to do things. It's, you can't describe how to write music if you
0: haven't played music. Right, but I, I guess the, I'm looking for the right metaphor as well, because in this respect— it's not about the individual, right? If if you're a really fast runner or, or you you know you're an incredibly strong athlete, well then the proof is in the pudding because it's the work you put into yourself. But when it comes to global issues, to answer
1: the question that you're thinking of, yeah,
0: you have to practice. Is it practice though? What if you're practicing the wrong thing, like recycling? You say? Oh, okay. Okay. We've been told for generations that recycling is the way to go. Turns out there's a lot of nuance there. There's you a lot mean, of things to, we should to, not be recycling. A lot of money being diverted from. You know, into recycling programs, that's a big fat waste of money that should go in other places. Most of our recycling is being dumped into landfills anyway. And there isn't a landfill shortage. So what the hell are we doing in the first place? How do we think systemically you're- as opposed to placing it all in an individual? Because so many times the individual is misguided.
1: Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodick.com podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable. Join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. If we were talking about distraction right now... And someone was focusing on the technology, but not themselves, mm-hmm. you'd say you got to work on yourself as part mm-hmm. of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, I want to walk you through the process I described before, okay. and I think it will change a lot. Yeah. So uh, is the environment something important to you? Absolutely. Okay. Have you acted on anything? Sure. Okay. Yeah. With respect to the environment. Sure, so for sure. Yeah. When you act on the environment, what has motivated you? What have you thought about? What images have come to mind or what? Why do you care? What do you think about when you think about the environment?
0: What do I think about when I think about the environment? I think about, for me, it's conservation. It's preventing human encroachment as much as possible. So, for example, I think one of the best things we can do is to live in geographically confined areas. Like, living in the country is bad for the environment. So So living in cities, to me, is one of the best things we can do for it. don't live in the suburbs where there's all this urban sprawl. Urban sprawl is a, is a huge environmental disaster. It leads to more cars. It leads to more space. You know, single family homes are a disaster. We shouldn't be building any more single family homes. We should be living together and leave nature, the rest of it.
1: So you're talking about strategy. This nature that you're talking about, this encroachment that you're talking about, what's, do you have something in mind? Do you see something there? Or do you feel something there? Yeah, it's, it's
0: untouched by human hands, like more preserves, more untouched nature. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, although, I mean, it makes sense, but it, it can mean a lot of things.
0: Are you, did, have you viewed untouched nature yourself? Have you viewed touched nature? Well, you know, it's hard to get to a real untouched nature. <laughs> you know, the best example is when you do fly over the continent and you look down and you see what untouched forest looks like, right? Or you look at a map of the United States and you can see, you know, one of these w- most wonderful things the, the federal government ever did of having wildlife preserved areas. That's important. We need that. That's, that's our- Why is it important. Have you, have you personally experienced them? Well, I think it's, it's important because it's an asset that you can't... So when we, we think about maximizing option value, I think that's the way I think about it, that we don't exactly know the value of every species that's going extinct today. What we do know is that we've cut off the genetic lineage that may lead to a discovery that may lead to some kind of intrinsic value and extrinsic value of that species that we will never be able to explore. We will never know once that species is extinct. And so, and the same goes for our ecosystems. The more land we gobble up and take away from nature, the less of it can ever come back to some degree.
1: That doesn't necessarily matter to you. And I feel like there's something personal that is, I'm hearing a bit of abstract, like a species may be of value perhaps a cancer-preventing chemical may be found in it or something like that. But what about for you? It, I feel like there's something more personal. I mean, have you walked in forests when sure. you're talking about forests? Sure, yeah. Is that something that
0: comes to mind for you when you're talking about the value of forests? Or Yeah, yeah. But I think it's more of, of from a, as a human being that shares a planet with generations to come. You know, it's like, it's like, the same way I would feel around burning a book, right? That if you have, you don't burn books, that's sacrilege because there's knowledge there, there's information, there's a viewpoint, there's a perspective. That once it's gone, it's gone. And so we should preserve. I think preservation and conservation is, is a value. Is that, is that what you're getting at? Or? Well, in, okay, so in books,
1: there's knowledge. Mm-hmm. If you're burning nature, I, I don't mean burn literally, although it could be burning literally. What is there? What's that? If it's not something that someone, in books, someone took the time to write something out. There's value that the person put in there. Mm-hmm. And in your book, there's, there's something really that you, you have a message you want to get out there. Mm-hmm. In nature, it's not someone didn't put something there. There's something, it feels like there's something there. I ask this question of a lot of people and yeah. I've never gotten the same answer twice. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. I thought everyone was going to answer the same way that I did. What, what's your answer? Well, it's a lot of things now, but I mean, because when you go into something, you discover more and more and more and more. Right. But I can say at the very beginning, it's what got me into physics, which is the beauty of nature. Yeah. I feel like the more that I would study nature, the more I could find beauty at deeper levels. So, yeah. like when you learn how light refracts to make a rainbow, mm-hmm. and you look at that equation, there's rainbows in the equation. I can't put it yeah. into, yeah. and I, I can see that. And I can see how math, the math that explains one thing explains something else. And to me, the way the best way I can explain it to others is when they do the MRIs or the brain scans of, of mathematicians looking at beautiful equations, mm-hmm. the same parts of the brain light up as when musicians listen to Beethoven, and that's what I'm getting that yeah. feeling. Yeah. And some people look at physicists and think white lab coats and technology and stuff, but that's the tool. But what I'm getting at is how nature works at yeah. a f- deeper, more fundamental well, that's level. Interesting.
0: Huh. So, so that's. That's your value.
1: Well, that's what got me started. And and there's a beauty to that. Now, if I work hard, I've all the mindfulness stuff. I can look at a pile of garbage and see beauty in that as well. Still, there's something different between you know like a fish swimming in a river and and garbage. Right.
0: Right.
1: And I I like I want more fish swimming in rivers and less garbage. Yeah.
0: I think there is there is definitely something to that. I mean, there's um, so we're we're sitting right now. You can't hear this on the podcast, but we're sitting here in in a room in my home uh, that I, that my family calls the Moon Room because there are pictures from the moon landing all over the walls of the room. And part of it is this acknowledgement that you know we're this little blue dot in a humongous black vacuum. We've never found life anywhere else in the universe to date, and so there's it took four billion years to create what we have today. And so there's something very awe-inspiring about that journey that every life form has taken to get to where it is today, and that that's very, very special. Is it? Is that? Have you listened to Pale Blue Dot by
1: any chance? No. Oh, I'm going to send a you a link. Uh, Carl Sagan did oh. it's a it's a, a spoken essay that he did, oh, and it's oh. touching. It like I'm I feel chills every time I think about it. Huh. And yeah, is I mean, when you say when you act on the environment, is there something in that view of this awesomeness that mm-hmm. It took so long. And when you talk
0: to the astronauts, so this thin sliver yeah, of life. Yeah. Is that? Yeah, that is definitely visceral, right? That's a that's a very emotional response to think about. I mean, that's awe-inspiring. How can you not look at these pictures from the Apollo yeah. missions and not realize how insignificant and yet incredibly valuable this huge blue rock is?
1: I had an, uh, an astronaut, and I was down in Houston, and I was asking him, at the end, I was like, did I ask the questions everyone does? And he's, oh, yeah, yeah. There's, yeah. <laughs> there's no chance. You can't help. But he talked about, you know, that thin sliver of yeah. we're barely hanging on and we're fighting. Right, right. And so if this is something that, that rings true to you, that that you think of when you when you do something to act on the environment, then I invite you at your option. And you don't have to do this, but if you're up for it, to think of something that you could do to act on that emotion, that feeling, that awe, that Billions of years to get to this. And there's no guarantee we'll get to the next next decade. Right. And if you can, most people don't have something right away. But I have a couple constraints. It, and it does not have, to, it's not about fixing all the world's problems by yourself. This is not about them. It's about acting on a value. Right. It can't be something you're already doing. Mm-hmm. I, I hope you're doing stuff, if you are, are, great to hear. But something new. It can't be telling others what to do. Mm-hmm. So something you do yourself. Mm-hmm. And something with a measurable effect. Mm-hmm. You don't have to measure it. And it can be short, it can be long, it can be big, it can be small. That's not important. What's important is that it's not just education or awareness uh, or consciousness. Those are great. But if you do those, take the next step to where you're actually doing something that could be measured. Mm -hmm. Most people don't have, they can't think of anything offhand. Mm -hmm. But if if we go back and forth a few times,
0: something usually pops out. Sure. Yeah. I guess my question is, um, again, how do we think with our heads, not with our hearts? I'm scared of tactics that are just about how to do something that feels good. Because a lot of times these things that feel good backfire. What I find is that the first thing is not the big one. It's what that leads
1: to because you learn from the first one. So there's a lot of people who pick something that isn't really that meaningful. I'm going to ask you, if you come up with something, to have a second conversation and share what the experience was like. Mm -hmm. The second conversation, you will answer this question yourself. Mm. I think most places we expect, you fail the first time. Mm -hmm. You're at Stanford. There's a lot of entrepreneurs out there, right? It's, it's do the first thing. It's probably not going to be the big one. Right. I mean, sometimes someone gets the first one and takes off, but usually you got to learn from the first one. And then, and then, then you're not the guy who's at the gym. You got to lift a few weights mm-hmm. and then you feel like, oh, I see why you do it that way. Right.
0: Hmm. Do you think that applies to the environment as well?
1: Does it apply to your behavior with respect to the
0: environment? Yes. Yeah, and, but what if you're running really fast in the wrong direction? You'll answer that
1: question better than I can after you do something. Why? How do you know that? Your
0: experience tells me. I could be wrong. Yeah. I mean, look, a lot of people do a lot of stuff that they think is good for the environment that isn't good for the environment, right? Well, also, you can come <laughs> up with something. How do you know? Where do you go? So in in charity, in the altruism, we have what's called effective altruism, which says we should give in an effective in the most effective way, which means, you know what? We should give to Against Malaria because the net benefit of that is much greater than giving to the local humane society. Cool. But, but this is really important because giving to the humane society feels so much better, right? Like saving cute puppies feels good. Why? Because one time when I was a kid, I had a puppy and he meant the world to me. And that's so visceral. But if we only do that, if we don't give based on what's effective, we're literally killing people.
1: I've worked on this a bunch. If you give me something that's, that's crap, I'll tell you as best I know. Which part of it? Whatever you come up with. If you come up
0: with what something... You do.
1: Yeah. If you come up with something that I've come across before and it's actually ineffective, I'll tell you that I think it's ineffective. And I'll say, let's get something different. Uh,
0: recycle all the plastics. Is that something that...
1: Did you just come up with that on your own? Or did you come up with that... I mean, is that something... Is it, I'm sorry, did you come up with that because of the awe? Because of the, the moon landing stuff? Or did you just pop that
0: out? Because it, it sounded disconnected. That's something I see a lot of people doing and i'm i don't know actually i don't know enough about the effect from what i hear they're just dumping our plastics into landfills
1: that's about the world let's go back to what motivates you and think
0: of if there's something you could do however small hmm i feel like i've done a lot recently we just moved here and got rid of my car (laughs) that was a big step we don't own a car anymore well virginia wait yeah exactly we try and buy as little as possible rather than recycling. We try and not buy things in the first place as much as possible because we also have a small place in New York so we don't have as much room for it. I need to think about that.
1: Yeah, we'll go back and forth a a couple times. Yeah. And the buying less, I take it, doesn't distract or detract from the rest of your life, right? It's not like...
0: Well, it's really easy to make an impulsive purchase. I need it, buy it.
1: And by not doing that, I'm guessing it gives you actually more time and more resources for other things. Sure. Okay, so... Cause a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to do something extra, but actually this is something that gives you, right? So there might be something that gives you, I just want to address that. So
0: what would it give me if I, no, no I,
1: I, 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 my point is just that, um, uh, some people, when I ask them this, they're like, look, I'm already doing as much as I can,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but some things not only you have to go, it's not like you have to put stuff in. This is actually something where you get stuff out.
0: Sure. Sure. So,
1: yeah. So I just want to, if that were a barrier for you, I want to lower that barrier, but it, it wasn't a barrier. I don't think. Yeah.
0: I, yeah know that makes sense? Uh, I don't know anything think on this one for a while. It's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. but it's uh I think you'll like where it goes. yeah you know, let's say um encourage uh so I do speaking engagements and so uh encouraging my clients to do it over webinar via a flight okay so rather would, having to be there live.
1: was that something that would that you would appreciate would that benefit you? Sure, yeah. So there are are talks coming up that you could say, you know what, let's, maybe that might be too big. I'll give them a heavy
0: discount if they, if they don't require me to actually travel or fly to, to go out there. Okay. And we could do it online.
1: the Yeah. I had a guy who was, um, this wasn't a recording. It was just a friend of mine and he organizes conferences Mm -hmm. and he said, you know what? I got a conference coming up in Shanghai. The local guy, he knows how to do this. Yeah. I'm going to empower him, delegate more. I'm going to benefit. I'm just not going to go to Shanghai. Yeah. And the, it, Shanghai went off right. and he benefited. You know, he didn't have to go. The other guy's now more capable. The company grew. Right. And this sounds like that.
0: Sure. Could be, or, or even better. I could still do it, but uh, through the miracle of the internet, right? I don't have to actually physically be there. I could do it through Zoom or Skype or something else.
1: Okay. So now let's make a smart goal. Uh, it sounds pretty specific, actually. How long do you think it would take before you have one of these events that you would swap, make Online instead of... Oh, I do two a month. So if I could convert one over. So if we spoke again in a month, would you be able to speak about the experience? Uh, sure, a
0: month or two, yeah.
1: Okay, so a month, two months? Okay, it Depends I, on how quickly I can get someone yeah. to taint their mind, but yeah. Okay, now addressing what you were talking about, could there be rebound effects here? Could there be... If you use that time to then take your entire family to fly somewhere instead, that would... It's what you do also otherwise... Okay, if you now had free time because you're not traveling to this other event and said, you know what? I got all this time. Let's take the wife and kids, one daughter, one daughter, daughter. wife and kid. And we'll go somewhere. Now, that would be three people flying instead of one person flying. So what you replace it with, you can't replace if you were to replace one trip with three trips, you would be less effective. Right. So I want to make sure that if you find yourself having free time, that if you spend that time spending time with the family here then you would, I think there would be a net benefit. Sure. If you use that time and savings to buy a bunch of plastic and dump it in the ocean, then it would not be. So I'm also going to ask when we speak next, what did you do instead? Yeah. And that will be my check to address your concern. What if I think I'm doing something effective when I'm not doing something effective?
0: Because
1: with recycling, yeah, there are lots of issues with recycling. A lot of people don't realize that recycling plastic has not been shown to reduce the
0: virgin production. So they are a pushback. So I just want to address that concern of yours. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah, sure. I don't think I'll use that time to take my family somewhere else. (laughs) Or if you do, it would be, I mean, you could go to Central Park. Yeah, we could go go locally, right? There's plenty to do here.
1: (laughs) So now the way that you're talking about this now is different than you were talking about it before. Mm. That's this change. It's only, we're only five minutes in here. Right, right. But I predict that after you do it, you're going to have to talk to people Mm -hmm. and say to them, I know you expect this, but I'm going to do it that way. And there's an emotion that comes in Mm. and connections that you're going to have to handle that people who haven't done this Mm. don't know how to handle. Mm. And that's the stuff of like, that's the equivalent of of the guy at the gym actually feeling what it's like to have the weight, possibly risk injury or something like that, or, you know, to why the form is the way that it is.
0: Mm.
1: And you have to feel that you can imagine it, but you really have to feel it. Right. And you're going to look in the audience and see, like, you can't see the audience the same. And you're not going to get the same applause. Right. And you're going to be like, is this better or worse? And you're going to, fi- you're going to find some things out, but you're also going to think what I can do differently. Mm-hmm. What I, could- I predict a lot of people, and I don't want to lead the witness here, but a lot of people start doing one thing. And then as they do it, they realize other things that they could do mm-hmm. that were closed off because one thing I'm not doing with you is blaming and shaming. I'm supporting because we've all been told we're hypocrites. We've all been told we're greenwashing something. And and so we protect that. Right.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So So what you're saying is basically if you're doing anything that's even if it's not, well, are you saying even if it's not necessarily, it doesn't matter whose standards it's effective by. We shouldn't necessarily care about that. We should just start. And along the path of starting, we will hopefully do more research. We will learn. We will take the next step. And in that process, we'll tack and and, and change our behavior for net benefit.
1: I, roughly speaking, you have to start with something. your 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 own motivation. Because if, it, if I told you what, I, there's no way I could have come up with what you
0: just came up with. It would not right. have resonated with your life. And so I couldn't have done that. And right. maybe you'd comply. Yeah. What I like about what you're saying is that it's not about getting others to do it. <laughs> I think there's something really powerful about that. I mean, I see this with kids and their parents quite a bit where- Parents will say, oh, I really need your book. Oh, really, why? Because my kid won't get off the computer, yeah. right? <laughs> or my, my colleagues or my boss or this person needs it, that person needs it. And it's so interesting because I don't think we can tell our kids, you know, get off Fortnite, stop playing on the on, stop playing Xbox while we're checking our Facebook accounts. I did notice on in your book that you said you were talking about how to make kids indistractable. Right, there's a whole section right. on
1: that. And you said no computers in the bedroom. And then you have a chapter on how to be a great, what an indistractable lover. And I was like, computers in the bedroom. What's going on here? No, no
0: computers in the bedroom.
1: Wait a minute. You you said that's what you do now anymore. Yeah. At the right. Beginning. Yes. Yeah, oh, I was like,
0: oh, I was filled with distraction and yeah, hypocrisy, hypocrisy back in the day. Now we don't have any television in our bedroom. No television in my daughter's bedroom. No computers in either of those. Yeah. Either. And I was like, I was like, oh, that's I, you know, I, obvious, I was like, patient, patient zero. I mean, yeah. I've, I've converted myself. I mean, I wrote this book for me, so I've changed dramatically over the years. Um, but yeah, till now we, we've we changed dramatically. So
1: I think, I think that you may have experiences here mm. with respect to your behavior that affects the environment, similar to what you had with your daughter. Yeah. And I'm really curious to see if what went into making this book, I think a lot of what's there, you're going to feel like,
0: oh, my God, this is the yeah. same journey I went through. It's interesting. Yeah, it's a really good point. By first doing it for yourself. You may, may make a really good point of seeing what you can do. If I understand correctly, it's mm-hmm. seeing what you can do, taking the first step for yourself. And you are the example, right? Because by I think what your path is, is that's what leadership looks like, is not being a hypocrite, right? <laughs> Trying for yourself. And do you recommend actually keeping it private? Is that better to actually keep it to yourself for a while? Or, to keep it private. To keep you're what, what you're doing, Yeah. yeah.
1: Actually, there's. I think of Lorna Lorna Davis, who's a, a guest. i She. I interviewed her about a year ago, and she made her. She's not buying new clothes for a year. Mm. Actually, the year ended December 5th, and I'm going to interview her in a day or two. Mm. She just retired from the C-suite of Danone, thirty billion dollar company. Mm-hmm. She's constantly. She's telling all the world, mm. and she's constantly sending me like these super high-powered executives. There's all. The, there's like several dozen high-powered female executives out there not buying clothes for a year because of her. And she's like, yeah. But then there's others who just, like, they're just doing this little thing. yeah. That, I can't, tell me how it goes. And you tell me what works for you. It's interesting. Yeah, I
0: like it. It's great. I appreciate it. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. And uh, I'll say you're welcome because you said thank you. But really, it's, I'm, there's a lot of technique that went in there that I didn't just say, there's a lot that went in there. If I were a piano teacher, I didn't just say hit the keyboard. right. I said, put this finger here, this finger here, this finger here, and you got to play some scales. And the more scales that you play, eventually it stops becoming scales and it starts becoming you expressing yourself. Right. And so I did walk you into a particular thing in a particular way. My first TEDx talk is about this. Mm. And I hope that our second conversation will be taking this to a whole other level because you have researched and you've put together and you've worked with people in ways beyond what I have. And I'm very interested to see if what you've done, your experience and your connections and all that stuff applied to this might be applied to acting environmentally might be like way beyond what I would have gotten on my own. Mm. I don't know. And I'm really curious about that. I'm really interested about that. And I I propose I'm going to ask you one last question to wrap up with and maybe we can start there next time. Sure. Sure. Well, is, this, uh, is there anything that I didn't think to ask that's worth bringing up, or anything that you want to say directly to the
0: listeners? Oh, there's so much. <laughs> there's so much. No, this is great. What, what was your last question? What were you going to say? Anything to say directly to the listeners? Yeah, I, I think the, the overall message I think is one we probably share, and that we are more powerful than we think we are. That that um, anything that saps your agency, you know, we tell ourselves so many things to get ourselves out of uncomfortable emotional states. And part of that is, I think, this idea that we're powerless, that there's nothing we can do. And I think that that's, that's not true, that whether the problem is distraction or any other problem, that we know that people who believe they can do something are much more likely to actually do something. Uh, and so we have, to, we have to remember that, that uh, we are much more powerful than we think.
1: I can't think of any. I, let's leave it with that. Nir Al, thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Appreciate it.
1: I appreciate Nier's openness to reconsider. I read him as having already determined his environmental views, but let himself look at these things from a new perspective, including to act on them. I read his thank you at the end as sincere and, I suspect, the start of something new. After recording, we talked about bringing his experience and discoveries and connections to environmental action. We'll see where it goes, but based on his reaction, I think there's some serious potential there. He also emailed me less than 24 hours later to say that he had acted on the commitment. I don't know the details but it sounds like he's avoided a flight. That is, he scheduled something that would have been in person to be online instead. And I suspect this came at no loss in business. But we'll have to hear from him after the online talk. For all I know so far, it could lead to problems. I can't wait to find out. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse, and living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and Living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.